This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Thank you so much. Uh, Go ahead and open your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke. And we'll be looking at uh, chapter 5 in in, in just a couple of moments while you're finding that. Let me just kind of tell you where I feel like God maybe is leading us uh, for Sunday morning. We're going to wrap up our series today um, on on just a few steps. But Lord willing, and I always say Lord willing, but uh, next Sunday planning on starting a new series entitled, So What's Next? And what we're going to be dealing with is what takes place immediately after our heart takes its last beat. 
Now, this is not going to be a hellfire and brimstone, scary, morbid series, even though we will be dealing with, you know, is there really a hell? I mean, is there a literal hell? Uh, how about heaven? Is there a literal heaven? And, and you know, what happens to us? Do, do we become uh, like um, we've seen that little uh, that little angel do we all become angels where we see that kind of that little naked baby playing a harp on 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 a cloud fluffy cloud is that what heaven's going to be like and and dick no don't go there <laughs> don't go there <laughs> uh so we're going to take um three or four weeks or so and just kind of explore what the bible says and really the bible is our only reliable resource for what happens after death that that's it. I mean, no, nobody else can really tell us anything for sure. You get these people that come back from the dead supposedly, and they say, "Well, I saw this bright light, and I, all, all this kind of stuff." Well, maybe, but the Bible—that's the reliable resource. So we're going to go to God's Word and be praying about it because um, I, I just kind of feel like that God is leading us that way. So, what's next? Beginning next Sunday, uh, a month ago, we did begin this series of messages called Just a Few Steps, and uh, the first week we were reminded of the single greatest gift we could offer people, which is an introduction to Jesus Christ. One million dollars, a one million dollar gift might seem like the ultimate gift, but really, what will one million dollars mean to you in 50 years? Or, Or for some of us, maybe even 10 years or five years or less. As soon as our heart stops beating, one million dollars means absolutely nothing. Attorneys will get a big chunk, the government will take their share, and the kids will fight over the rest. But the gift of Christ is priceless, it's non-taxable, and it lasts forever. And then the second week we looked at what it means to live on the edge. And, and basically that was a challenge for Christians to develop some new friends and not necessarily to ditch your old church friends, but many times we as churches, we are guilty of cocooning. We, we have a fortress mentality and, and, and so we develop little cliques and rarely make an effort to touch people outside of our circle of friends. But God has called us to reach out to others. And yes, Biblically, I believe we need to have our inside circle, good church friends, but God has called us to show the love of Christ to others. If we don't, who will? And then last week we dove into the power of story and we talked about God's story and your story and how we needed to learn to tell both of them well. And I asked if you could tell your story in a 100 to 200 words and and I was going to uh, share my story this morning, but... I think we've got plenty to uh, talk about today, and so I will just kind of bypass that for right now. Now, as we wrap up our series, I want to introduce you to what I call below-the-surface living. And I want to begin by taking you on a four-minute vacation. Anyone in need of a vacation around here? This is your lucky day. Um, By some stroke of good fortune, a wealthy donor and a little bit of imagination, you and I, in fact all of us here, we find ourselves on a tiny resort island in the Bahamian chain. Now upon arrival, some of you want to start out your vacation right and you decide to go snorkeling. 
Within an hour or so, you find yourself all decked out in your mask and fins and with a great suntan. And in your swimsuit, which incidentally looks good on you and fits perfectly. Remember, this is imaginary vacation. (laughs) Well, the boat driver cuts the engine and you jump into the water. Now, once in the water, everything is so perfect and you decide to just kind of float on your back on top of the water and... I mean, the sun is beautiful, the setting is amazing, the temperature is perfect, and and you just enjoy the cresting and the falling, you know, of the gentle waves. It's, It's so peaceful, you feel like you could just take a nap. Now, you're there to snorkel. Uh, but, but again, you're quite content to just relax on the surface. So here's my question for you this morning. Is there anything wrong with that picture? Is there anything wrong with your just staying on the surface of the water? Well, not really. I mean, you somehow scored a free trip to the Bahamas. It's a beautiful day. The ocean is calm. There's, there's really nothing wrong with what you're doing. But what if I were to tell you that just under the water's surface, I mean, right below you, you were missing out on an unbelievable world of beauty? And let's say that I finally convince you to actually go snorkeling. And so you position your mask around your eyes. You cup your lips around your breathing tube. You roll over onto your belly. You kick up your legs, dip your face into the water and go below the surface. As you do so, your heart almost stops as you take in your new surroundings. You are, you are in awe. You see fish of all colors. And you think, where did all of those fish come from? Uh, you know, why didn't I see them while I was floating on top of the water? And maybe while still trying to process the beauty of this new world, you all of a sudden find yourself in the middle of a huge school of blue and neon yellow angelfish. Then you turn your head and look, and you are absolutely amazed at a coral reef that has every color in the prism and and is so full of fascinating living organisms. And, And about that time, a green moray darts by you, seemingly smiling as he passes by. And this just blows your mind. Here, a couple of minutes prior... You were enjoying the surface of the water and you thought it was the most beautiful setting in the world, at least compared to Stockton Lake. But it doesn't come close to this amazing world that you're experiencing just a few feet below where you were. So maybe for a reality check, you pop up, lifting your face above the water to take in the ocean surface again. And and, and yeah, it's nice, but you don't see the creatures that you just witnessed under the water. So you dip your head back under the water, again, a blur of activity, vibrant colors. You pop your head back up, just blue water and blue skies. Now, if you had to choose, which is the better view? I mean, not that either one is bad, but I think that those of us that have ever gone snorkeling and how many of you have been snorkeling before just raise your hand several of you you know if you have been snorkeling before i think we would all agree that the better view comes from looking below the surface of the water well our four-minute vacation is over (laughs) sorry to have to bring you back to reality and and now we find ourselves once again in this community where god has allowed our paths to intersect 
at this church on the fifth day of February 2017. And since our Bahamian vacation is still fresh on our minds, for our lesson, I want to tag on to that vacation and I want to introduce you to a life that has so much more color and so much more beauty, so much more vibrancy than just floating on top of the surface. And for our lesson, we're going to study a scripture that has a wonderful fish story. Again, Luke chapter 5. And the format for this is very simple, very elementary. Of course, that's the way I think. First, I'd like to read this story to you, and then I want to offer you two observations, and then we'll end up with a challenge, and all in the course of 30 minutes or so, that's ministerially speaking. And, and, and today we're going to read our passage from the message paraphrase. Most of the time we will read it from a, an actual translation from the Greek or the, the, the Hebrew, depending whether it's New Testament or Old Testament. Um, but today I, I want to go to a paraphrase, the message because it just makes it come alive. And so you can follow along uh, in, your, in your Bibles. We'll be starting Luke chapter five, uh, 5, verse 1, or, or follow along on the screen behind me. Once when he, of course he being Jesus, was standing on the shore of Lake Genesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. He noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets, he climbed into the boat that was Simon's and asked him to put out a, <clears throat> a little from the shore. Sitting there, he used the boat for a pulpit. He taught the crowd. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But, if you say so, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done. A huge haul of fish, straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with a catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. It was the same with James and John, Zebedee's sons, co-workers with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, there's nothing to fear. From now on, you'll be fishing for men and women. They pulled their boats up on the beach, left them nets and all, and followed him. Now, I'll have to say that I've never experienced a fishing trip like that. That was a career day for Peter, James, and John. I mean, you hear of sports stars having career days. Well, this was a career day for these professional fishermen. Their nets were bursting. They had to call in another boat for reinforcement to help them haul out all of the fish. And both boats were still about to swamp because of the weight of the fish. What an amazing experience. Now, I hope you understand that this story is more than just about catching a bunch of slimy fish. Rather, it's about catching something else that is much bigger. In fact, the moment that Jesus arrived on the scene all the way up until, day, until today, he's been asking not only career fishermen, but businessmen and businesswomen and stay-at-home moms and bus drivers and presidents and, and actors and singers and writers and hairstylists and, and, and pro football players and chefs. 
and retail managers and pilots and lawyers and teachers and, and 3M and wit printing and dairy concept employees, farmers and preachers and all the rest. Jesus has been asking this one question. Are you going to throw all of your energies into pursuing small fish? Or will you risk tossing out your nets in anticipation of catching the human-sized ones? Now, don't misunderstand me this morning. Jesus is not against any of those professions that we mentioned. But I hope that you have come to understand that regardless of how you make your money, your calling is still the same. You understand that, don't you? Regardless of how you put food on the table, whether it's teaching or selling cars or digging ditches, God has called every one of us to become fishers of men and make disciples. Let's go to our first observation. And here it is. The priority is people. Below the surface living means caring about other people. It's about having an inclusiveness for all people, even if they look different, talk different, act different, and even vote differently. Now, let me just clarify something here. And I'm not advocating that we should accept all people of all beliefs and of all religions as brothers and sisters in Christ. There is only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus. Amen? We don't bend on that one at all. That is a standard right there. But we need to be able to interact with people of other races, people of other beliefs. In fact, you ought to be able to be friends with Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus and atheists. Again, make sure you're not swayed by their error. Stay close to truth. But how are we ever going to make inroads into these people's lives unless we become their friends? And, and then something else. Since the priority is people, we need to also be able to interact with people that might not line up to our standard of behavior. You know, for, for example, the Bible teaches this, and, and here at this church, we preach against the sin of homosexuality, and we don't apologize for it. But we do not preach against being a friend of homosexuals. You understand that? Once again, don't, don't allow yourself to be deceived by some of their arguments, but you don't need to treat them like the plague. Jesus loves them, and this may blow your mind, Jesus loves them as much as He loves you. And He died as much for them as He did for you. And so the priority is people. And Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light shine before others in such a way that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. And in this verse, I think Jesus is saying, people will come to know Him because of your light, how you treat them, how you make them a priority. And I can almost hear Jesus telling those fishermen on the shores that day, you know, you can catch fish, take them to the market, make a few dollars. It's a perfectly acceptable and even noble occupation. And, and today you would have probably named your occupation. He might have said, hey, if you sell insurance or work on small engines or build houses or work as a CPA or, or raise cattle or do factory work, those are perfectly acceptable careers. But he would also say that instead of putting 100% of your energy into making dollars, why don't you consider using some of your energy and resources to change destinies? Making dollars is good, but changing destinies is better. 
And the way that you and I treat people, hear me out, the way that we treat people will serve either as a magnet that draws them to God or as a turnoff that pushes them away from God. And, and there was something else that I, I, I noticed in this verse. Did you notice whose light Jesus was talking about? It says, let your light shine. Not your pastor's light. Not your small group leader's light. Not your church's light. He says, your light. And I truly believe that when those of us who call ourselves Christians start pulling our own weight and start letting our light shine in a way that lets people know that we care about them, then two things will happen. Number one, the kingdom will get built. In fact, I don't believe we can construct a building large enough to take care of all the new people that will come to Christ. I truly believe that. And secondly, once we embrace a lifestyle of caring for people, serving people, listening to people, we will quit being bored and unfulfilled. You know, when I hear people saying, oh, I'm so bored, you know, I want to grab them by the neck, lay hands on their neck, and I want to just say, please, in the name of Jesus, quit floating on top of the water and look under the surface to a beautiful world of uh, service to God and to man. Let's go to the second observation. We're making pretty good time today. Um, the focus is on potential now it didn't seem to matter to Jesus that his soon to be disciples were men whose first response to his commands were a little south of obedience you know these men were not great examples of quick and quiet obedience when Jesus asked them to put their nets on the other side of the boat they argued back and they said but we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing and I think in today's terminology they were saying hey who do you think you are I mean, we're the ones who've worked all night. You've been sleeping. We are professional fishermen. You're a carpenter turned preacher. What do you know about fishing, Mr. Know-it-all? I think that was kind of in their attitude right there. That's Trussell's translation, by the way. But what's important here is that Jesus saw their potential. He was able to look past their mouthiness. And see how their mouths could be used for God. He was able to look past their quick temper and see how their temper could be shaped into strong character. Those of you that were here last week, hopefully you remember that I talked about the before and the after. As we talk about our, give our testimonies, our story. And I wonder what it was that Christ had to look past, you know, us in order to be able to accept us and embrace us. Um... Personally, I know one thing that God had to look past in me early in my life was my temper. And I know I can trust you. You won't tell anybody here. And uh, those that are listening on the radio, I know they won't tell anybody either. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I had a temper. And, and, and I'm not a violent person by nature. I don't slam doors. I don't cuss. I don't peel out and burn rubber in my car when I get upset. And, and one reason is that the four-cylinder that I'm driving won't do that. <laughs> uh, just doesn't have it under the hood. Uh, but but really, that, that's just not my nature as, as a whole. But I did have a, a, a pretty quick temper. And I remember one time, and I hate to tell you because you'll, I'm afraid, use this against me. Uh, but I, I like to play racquetball. And um, this was before we ever moved to, uh, to Eldredo. Um, but I was an adult. 
and, and I was married and, and I was playing and, and, and I got so upset. And I never, I never get upset at somebody else. If they make a, a great shot, congratulations. That, that's good. But I get upset at myself when I do a stupid shot. And so I, um, this was actually in, in South America and I was playing somebody and, and, and I made a dumb shot. And, and I got so mad, I took my racket and I slammed it against the wall and broke my racket. And it wasn't a $20 racket. It, uh, it wasn't, I mean, the best racket that was available. But, and, and it just stunned me. I thought, here I am. Uh, I was a missionary. And it was like, wow. can't believe I did that. Um, another part of my before life was my mouthiness. And I know you can't imagine that. Um, but you don't know how many times as a kid I woke up my mom and dad in the middle of the night. And I was convicted by God because I was disrespectful and mouthy to them. And if any of you have hung around me, you've probably seen some remnants of that mouthiness still in my life. And God is taming my tongue and, and, and is still a work in progress. And, and once in a while, even today, it seems that my tongue gets a little bit loose. And, uh, and thank God I don't have a problem with cussing and swearing. I, and, and, and that's a God thing because that never even comes to mind. But boy, oh boy, can I ever be cynical and critical and fire off some cutting remarks back to that person that just kind of set me off? And, uh, and frankly, I've seen uh, in some of you a few remnants of your before as well. And, and I've been with you sometimes where, where something happened and, and, man, it just comes out of your mouth. And I know you're so embarrassed because you're with a preacher. And, uh, but uh, thank God that he looks past the before and he sees our potential. And, and, and would you just listen to this, please? When we see someone that has some rough edges, let's let God do his work in his own time, in his own way. Let's not suit up to become lifestyle referees for them. God did not call us to be referees blowing the whistle and pointing out all of their wrongs. God called us to love them. And yes, there may be a time where we need to lovingly confront them in the name of Jesus. But that's only done after much prayer and being directed by the Lord. One of the classic examples of Christ's ability to look beyond people's rough edges and see their potential is in a story with a man named Levi, or also known as Matthew. Same guy, Levi, Matthew. But, and, and you can find this in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. But it reads like this, New Living Translation. Later, as Jesus left the town... He saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collection booth. Come, be my disciples, Jesus said to him. Now, this was obviously someone that was not a follower of Jesus Christ. And tax collectors during those days were, were swindlers. They were very dishonest. But, but Jesus told him, said, come be my disciple. And, and Jesus didn't worry that this tax collector's bad reputation might hurt his own reputation. He saw the potential that he had. Now, from Matthew's perspective, what did following Jesus mean? Well, for starters, it meant walking away from a successful business. It meant walking away from his financial security. And that day, Matthew's business friends probably thought he had lost his ever-loving mind. I mean, why on earth, and think about this, why on earth would a successful businessman ditch his career and traipse after a homeless rabbi that didn't have a dime to his name? It was madness. But Matthew did that. Jesus saw his potential, said, follow me. 
Matthew left the comfortable surface of the known to dive into a world of the unknown and in the end gain a life that was so much more fulfilling than just making a lot of money. Hear me out for a sec. If your goal is to make a lot of money, that's not a bad goal. But if your goal is to just make a lot of money, then that's a bad goal. Let me say it again. If your goal is to make a lot of money, that's not a bad goal. I believe God expects us to make as much money as is reasonable. You need to work hard and and use your God-given abilities. Uh, You need to work and, and invest and and make as much money as is reasonable. There, there's too much laziness today and the expectation that the government owes me. We need to work hard and make as much money as is reasonable. However, if your only goal in life is to just make a lot of money and just accumulate more and more and then not use that money to serve people and God, then that's a terrible goal. Understood? We on the same page? So... Jesus looked past our faults and failures and he focused on potential. Okay, so we've looked at two observations. Now let me give you a challenge. Very, very simple and basic. Here it is. Start small, but start. You know, maybe some of you are interested in below the surface living and, and you don't, and you want to experience a, a deeper life of commitment and service to God, but you don't know where to begin. Well, let's see what Matthew did in our lesson. And, uh, and again, you can read this, but, but Matthew kept thinking of all of his buddies sitting there in their tax booths, the same spot where he used to work just days ago, and he knew they needed Christ. But what could he do? Well, you won't believe what he decided to do. You ready? Matthew decided to throw a party. I thought Dick would say amen to that. (laughs) Now remember that Matthew was a new Christian. He he didn't know any scripture yet. He didn't have the hymns or worship or Gaither songs down yet. He hadn't mastered the art of a beautiful prayer. But there was one thing that Matthew was good at. He was good at throwing parties. And so Matthew hatched a plan to throw a party. And and this was a party where he could put his old tax-collecting buddies in a room with a few of his new Christian friends. Now, as I read this story, here's what occurred to me. Matthew could have ditched his old friends because they probably told dirty jokes. They probably used God's name in vain. They probably drank too much and slept around. And many of us would have said, Matthew, you just need to kind of ditch your old friends for church friends. You need to switch friends. Matthew didn't do that. Matthew knew that God had saved him for for a purpose that included more than his own salvation. It included his being a tool to help bring his buddies into a relationship with God. And in this community where we think... Let let me start this again after I get a drink. (laughs) In this community where we think that everybody that dies is in a better place, we need to be reminded that not everybody goes to heaven. The Bible says wide is the road to destruction and hell. Narrow is the way that leads to heaven. I mean, you understood that. 
You know, the Bible is essentially saying that there are many more people on their way to hell than on their way to heaven. You say, well, this scripture doesn't apply to us because our community is an exception. Our, our community is more righteous and holy than most communities. Do you really believe that? And thank God for the community in which we live. But that scripture that says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, narrow is the way that leads to heaven, applies to us here in Eldorado Springs. And especially in Nevada. Sorry, Tim Wilson. <laughs> and you know, that really puts the fear of God in me. It, it, it means that... Here's the implication of that scripture. It means that there are probably more people that die in Eldorado Springs without God. More people die lost than those, those who die in Christ. And when I thought about that, it's just like a, a quietness came over my spirit. And I know what the preacher says, they're in a better place. But if this scripture is true, and I believe God's word is accurate, I'm afraid we're just fooling ourselves when we try to convince ourselves that everyone who dies is in a better place. Uh, and that's what this series is all about, to take a few extra steps to love and influence as many lost people as possible and help point them to Jesus. And so the question this morning is, will you opt into below-the-surface living with me? Will you do that? Will you make a decision this morning to never be content to just float on the surface again because under the surface is a world of beauty and fulfillment that will change your life forever. For our wrap-up this morning, I want to read a testimony. and This is uh, someone in this church. And uh, this was a person that, well, let me just read it for you. Please come forward are the last words I heard in my old life as a 13-year-old boy before I stepped forward to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus was offering me. I made my way to the front and was met with a question, Son, do you want Jesus to come and live in your heart? Yeah, I said. Okay, now repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I believe Jesus Christ is your son and that he died for my sins and you raised him to life and I want to invite him into my heart to take control of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. To my surprise, things changed instantly in my life after saying this prayer. My parents were so happy with me. They took me out to eat and just smiled a lot at me. I mean, it was weird. I thought, Jesus, you're amazing. Why aren't all people doing this? I started to wonder if he could do anything for my grades. <laughs> Interestingly, that did not happen. But for the next almost 20 years, I lived a life that was far from the person that believed this prayer. I, I held on to the prayer's assurance only. My life was filled with sin, well, sins, 
that others told me were sins. I, I didn't really understand the depth of the term. I loved to party, drink, and smoke. I was obsessed with money. I attempted suicide more than once. I put myself first in everything. Now, life slows down when you get married and you have kids in the sense that my party days and pursuit of my own happiness slow down to compensate for taking care of a family and kids. We wanted to attend church and for our kids to be in church, you know, with how the world is looking nowadays. As a family man with more responsibility, going to church was easier to sit through because I didn't feel guilty when the preacher spoke out against some of the common sins I was taught, such as drinking drugs or casual Christianity. He wasn't talking about me because I was a good person and would maybe read the Bible to the boys and I would pray here and there. And if you asked me if I was a devoted Christian, I would say yes. Plus, I said the prayer. Then one day, I heard a song in church with the lyrics that said, When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. And I can remember saying this to myself, does anyone really believe this? Wait. Do I believe this? It was at this moment that I saw the gravity of my situation. I, I wasn't a believer and I was confused because I, I felt so sure up until this point. And I went home and, and just started reading the Gospels to find out what I was missing about Jesus and what the Bible says about the sinner's prayer. And I never found the sinner's prayer in the Bible. But what I did discover was the truth of the Gospel. I began reflecting on my life of sin and discovered that I'd never truly repented. My devotion and faith was shallow. I could see how empty I was. I could see the evidence of my past and my present feeding only my desires because I was empty. I didn't hate sin. I loved it. Jesus wasn't offering me just eternity. He was offering me a life made full and made in Him. When faced with the Gospels, my life as a Christian was similar to Felix and Acts. And what is written about the interaction that he had with Paul and the Scriptures say a few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, sinning for Paul. They listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus, as he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control in the coming day of judgment. Felix became frightened. Go away for now, he replied. When it's more convenient, I'll call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent for him quite often and talked with him. It was never the church's fault or a preacher's fault. It was mine. I allowed myself to think because I said a prayer at some point in my life. That was all the assurance I needed. I wanted to argue or twist the truth to match my life because the truth wasn't convenient. I didn't want to let this life die so that the miracle of a new birth could happen. Yet, the gospel was offering me so much more than heaven after I die. And it was life I could finally accept that I could trust without borders, a life in which He could take me deeper than I could ever wander. He was calling me out into His ocean. I always just came to the shoreline in the past, never diving in. Now my life, my heart, my passions, my desires, my prayers are all changed because of Jesus. 
today when he comes and the trumpet sounds, you will find me in the presence of my Savior. He knows my name and I don't know him because he's alive and he's living inside of me. He is enough for me. And don't just take my word for it. When you meet him, you will know who has my life. And as I read that testimony, as I, as I talked with this man that would be in his 20s and 30s, uh, it, it was so amazing. He thought he had it because he said the prayer. And I just wonder how many of us here today, you know, we've said the prayer. We, 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 we've done that and we've come forward, but yet we're missing out on, you know, a world of vibrancy, a, a, a world of fellowship with Jesus. And we're missing out on a world of service that brings fulfillment. And so this morning, I just ask, is there anybody that maybe is in that state where you've been a surface Christian, you've been floating on your back, and it's pretty nice part of the time. But I can promise you this, when you get below the surface, you begin to see things, you begin to understand things, you begin to experience Jesus in a way that you've never been able to imagine. And so this morning, I want to just invite you to that below-the-surface living. You say, well, what do I need to do? Well, sometimes you've just got to dive in. You've just got to take a leap of faith. Sometimes you've got to just say, you know what, I, I, I'm tired of just kind of doing the act and doing what I'm supposed to do, but God, I'm all in. I'm all in. And so this morning as we pray, as we wrap up our service, um, if that's you, could I just encourage you to go below the surface? Say, God, I, I, I'm going to do more than just say a prayer. I'm going to do more than just come forward, but I want to commit my life to you. And I don't want to just experience surface Christianity, but I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection. I, I want to know Him intimately. And so this morning as we pray, if you would like to experience Him that way, why don't you just open your heart? I'm going to ask you to stand. And I want to pray. And if there's somebody, you know, I don't always believe that you have to come forward unless you're just a prideful person. You don't want anybody to know. Then God may require you to come forward. But maybe you can do it right back there. Whatever God leads you to do. I'm not here to count people that come forward. That's not what I find my fulfillment. My fulfillment comes when people come to know Jesus. And whether you're back there or at home, small group, or here at the altar. But as I pray, would you just open your heart? And if somebody wants to come forward and say, I, I, I want to get all in. I, I'm, I'm ready to dive in. I'm ready to jump in and experience what God has. And if you want to come, you are certainly welcome to to do that and just experience the fullness of Jesus Christ and, and know Him intimately. And, and maybe you don't have the courage to come by yourself, but you want to ask somebody to come with you. And, and you can do that and just grab the person by you and say, go pray with me. And, and uh, before we pray, I'd like to just ask you to bow your heads. Nobody looking. Is there somebody that would just lift a hand and, and, and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm, I'm on the surface and I want to experience more of God. Is there somebody here? Lift a hand and say, thank you, I see your hand, I see your hand. 
Anybody else? Anybody else lift a hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I, I, I sense that I'm just kind of a casual Christian. Would you just pray for me? I want to do so right now. Father, I want to thank you for uh, the privilege of knowing you, of really knowing you. And Lord, I ask that to those that raise their hands, they would know you intimately in the power of your resurrection. God, don't let us just be caught uh, trying to float along and, and try to play both sides to where we're kind of with the world, kind of with Christ, uh, riding the fence. But, Father, I pray that we would make a decision to go all in, that we would go deep with you. Lord, when that happens, then not only do we experience a world that's beyond what we've ever experienced, just fulfillment, uh, we see the beauty of Jesus but Lord, we begin to have an effectiveness as we, as we begin taking a few steps to talk to someone about Jesus, then our effectiveness goes to a new level. And so God, I just ask that, uh, I pray that today you would help us not to be just a shallow church, just kind of floating along with the waves, but Lord, would you help us to experience, truly experience you. And God, uh, make us, make us like Christ. We don't want to be like the world. We want to be like Jesus. And I pray that in the coming days that we would have opportunities. Matthew threw a party. Maybe there will be a bunch of people here that will throw some parties over the next 30 days and bring in some of their unchurched people, team them up with some of their Christian friends and begin to just share the light of Jesus Christ. There may be others here that will have another way of making a difference, but I pray that we would all... God, would you just convict us on a daily basis to, to take a few extra steps to change someone's life in the name of Jesus. Father, for what you do, we will praise you. We will thank you. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all of God's wonderful people said, Amen and Amen. And uh, thank you so much for for coming here, and uh, I want to just encourage you to get below the sur surface and dive in. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com, or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.